0: Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 147, week 147, volume 147, number fucking 147. on hey guys, how's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Jordan of Karma, and that will be coming up later in the show. Not a lot to kick off at the start of the show with, except... We have seen everyone slowly but surely come back into the mosh zone. Everyone's starting to listen again. Thank you to everyone that has come back or has recently discovered us. I love you all and I appreciate you all. Let's get this year cranking, guys. Lots of content, lots of great shows ahead. Enough of the ramblings. Let's get into the main part of the show. This week, I got to sit down with Jordan of Karma, First thing I got to say, thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So, Who Are Karma? If you're unaware or uneducated, they're a bit of an upcoming, hot, on the scene American metallic hardcore band. So far, two albums and one EP to their name. This conversation with Jordan touched on a lot of topics I wanted to and a lot that I didn't expect to, but everything we covered was vital for you to discover him as a person, but also the band, but just insightful overall. I really enjoy this conversation. I hope you do too. That chat with Jordan is coming up now. So, you know, let's everyone gets the, the start-off question the same. And usually, what that is is not a heavy band, but do you remember a band growing up that you became obsessed with that kind of opened your world to music existing as a kid? Uh,
1: not a heavy band that's harder mm. uh I wouldn't say a band, but my dad's like heavily into Prince, and that was like the first like guitar music I really latched onto I'm actually named after Prince, my middle name's Nelson, and that's uh, Prince's last name. <laughs> So I think that would probably be, like, the first artist that heavily used, like, guitars and, like, actual instruments that I really gravitated to. And then from there, I had like, first actual, like, heavier band I listened to was Slipknot, which is I'm sure a lot of people said.
0: <laughs> so, That's, uh, well, when you discovered Slipknot, I mean, are we talking about by chance that you saw it on TV or you heard it on radio? Or did, was there someone that kind of said to you, you've got to check this out?
1: So it's kind of both at the same time. So I had seen them. I think so I'm 23, so I'm younger. And uh, there was one year they were on the MTV Music Awards, and I was like, I had no idea anything about them. Then I saw them walk on the stage with all the masks and everything. I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and then that same year, my cousin had a boyfriend at the time. We played in like a like a metal band, and we he played like a a battle of the bands, and me and my dad went to that. So that was at the same time with me figuring out who Slipknot is, and then also seeing. That style of music live, that's kind of what uh, just kind of ignited the flame in me, I guess you could say.
0: No, I mean, well, anyone that listens to this show, which, you know, everyone that does knows that they're into heavy music for their own reason. But yeah. for a lot of people that aren't into heavy music, they probably can't understand why they got in it. So for you, apart from the imagery of seeing, you know, these guys in masks and jumpsuits, you know, what musically made you want to get into it was it the aggression was it the message i mean what made you like heavy music as a kid
1: originally definitely the aggression before i i'd say the the uh the starting point was definitely just the aggression of how and how like gritty and in your face it all was then as the times goes on it's definitely became more about the message to me
0: Mm. Well, I mean, it's quite a thing. Also, I mean, did you accept and were you happy with screaming vocals? Because that's something that, I mean, I know personally, the first time I heard screaming vocals, I didn't like it. It took me a long time to accept it. So, what were you like with the, the vocal side of things?
1: That definitely took a while to get used to, for sure. And I guess uh I don't know. So the the band I mentioned, my uh, cousin's ex's band they had like, it was like a full, he just, he screamed vocals. So that was kind of, I would, I would go to like their shows with them and they kind of like being around them kind of understanding more that it's not just screaming like there's actual words and like (laughs) diving deeper into Slipknot. That's kind of, it kind of, you get used to it after a while, I guess.
0: Now, what's your musical discovery go like from Slipknot? Are you kind of a sponge? Are you just absorbing everything that's going on? Because... Um, Slipknot is very different to what you guys do in your band. So where's the transition from going from that to the hardcore style?
1: So around that same time, I started playing in a band with Andrew, who's in our, who plays guitar for Karma. He, we had a band in like seventh grade, and it was like a metalcore, deathcore style band, because that's all we really knew, because that was what was prevalent around, because we live like 20 miles outside of Chicago. Mm -hmm. So that the hardcore shows are happening in Chicago and then like the everything the on the outskirts of that is what where like the bands like can't even think of a band right now but like the more metalcore style bands were, have, were playing shows on our side and that's what we were able to get rides to because our parents were driving us to the city and <laughs> so that was kind of we I graduated from Slipknot to like the more like the hot topic style things that, mm-hmm. things that are more easy to find because being a kid like obviously slipknot is like way closer to the the stuff you would see in a hot topic than Mm. to a hardcore band so it's kind of like a natural progression i guess you could say
0: what was the hardcore band that really you know sparked the light bulb in you to go actually this is this is not my shit
1: so you know how terror back in like probably like 2012 2013 they were doing all those mixed build tours and mm-hmm. i saw them and i was like "Oh!" as soon as i saw terror i was like oh that's it this is a whole different ballgame!" game and this is what it just immediately cooked with me and i just went on a youtube deep dive listening to every band i could find that sounded like terror and that kind of just snowballed from there
0: they're also i mean yeah i'm a bit biased they in my top three all-time bands and they're the kind of oh, band yeah. that you see live uh whether you like the music or not you can't not get into that stuff well that's just energetic as fuck
1: yeah absolutely it's especially if like when you haven't seen anything like that before it's like a shock to you because you see people at the venue i saw them at there was like a pole in the middle of this i this is a vivid memory i was like 15 years old and this dude like climbed the pole like a like an animal (laughs) because it wasn't pegs he just like kind of scooted his way up the pole and dove off and i was like oh my god i've never seen anything like this before and from there i was just hooked man
0: Now, you mentioned, you know, earlier band and obviously doing a different style, but um, with you, with vocals and wanting to be a singer, what were your early inspirations and aspirations? Like, who were you looking at and saying, look, I want to be like person A, B and C as a vocalist?
1: So actually my first band, I played bass. So I played bass from like seventh grade until I still play bass a little bit because I write all the, like all the instrumentals for Carmel, but I when I started doing vocals, honestly, I, it wasn't like a who I want to sound like. It's just kind of what was able to come out of me. <laughs> and, uh, that's what happened, and I was like, all right, I'm ro- rolling with it.
0: <laughs> now, did you did you learn um, your ability and technique through assistance of YouTube and stuff, or did, was it a kind of a scream along in the car and push your vocals until they hurt kind of thing?
1: Yeah, it was that. It was definitely that. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. definitely just me in my garage trying to sound like like just trying to sound anything similar to anybody in a hardcore band just (laughs) and i don't it kind of is weird because i it sound like i when i do vocals i sound completely different than when i talk It's, it's a like a drastic difference i don't know how it happens but that's just the only thing I've ever been able to do.
0: <laughs> have you always been, you know? Some some people have had on the show that said they've never been comfortable hearing their voice either in the fallback or on on a mix. Are, are you comfortable when you hear your voice? Are you are you critical of it, or are you like, yeah, that is what it is, so I'm just going to roll with it?
1: It's a little bit of both. I think when we record, I definitely make sure there's like there's sometimes like, oh, that kind of sucked. So it's. I'm kind of I'm very uh, critical of my own vocals, I would say, so it's kind of a, like an in-between thing like I, I like my vocals not so it's not a thing where I like, oh I, I don't want to hear them back, but at the same time, I'm definitely very critical of it.
0: yeah, and that would help push you though as well yeah, absolutely yeah the the not not being content is is a you know it's a good thing it can be it can be an annoying thing probably for people yeah. around you going, <laughs> dude, that's fine, that take is fine, but it pushes you to want perfection.
1: Yeah, 100%. And that's kind of what I strive for.
0: Now, you you mentioned earlier the kind of differences from your local area's scene to kind of the Chicago scene. So, you know, when you're getting into the early bands and you're trying to get shows, are you noticing that it is a vibrant scene around you? Because being honest, as an Australian, Chicago and that the broader area is not a scene that normally is heard of. You know, we don't hear a lot of Chicago bands. You know, we hear the Long Island bands and all of this stuff. So what was the scene like for you when you were coming up through it? Was it vibrant?
1: Yeah, so in the early days, it was like, wasn't very very too vibrant. But once I was able to break into the Chicago scene, because a lot of the Chicago hardcore shows were age-restricted. So it'd be like 17 and up, 18 and up. So I didn't get to go to like any of the bigger hardcore shows until I turned like 17. But once we hit that, it was around the same time that we started Karma. So it kind of worked out perfectly for us because we started meeting all the people in the scene. And from there, it's been, I'd say it's very vibrant because Chicago just always has like a, it's its a bigger city. It's in the Midwest, so it kind of gets downplayed, but it's, def, it's one of the biggest cities in the U.S. So it definitely gets the big tours. And I think there's always been like a steady base of bands here that kind of kept kept it going and kept it uh just vibing i guess
0: i mean is it also the kind of scene where you have bands that you can look at that are local that are you know quote unquote making it you know are there local bands when you were starting out karma basically that you looked at and went well they're a local band and they're getting around the country touring so we can do it
1: yeah there was bands like I, I, they were kind of surpassed local at the time, but Harm's Way was one of the bands mm-hmm. that—that's like the Chicago hardcore band that has been recent because there's this. They're like the only band recently out of Chicago that has actually like transcended that. I'd say.
0: Hmm. Well, yeah, they're they're a band that now is just in many ways you'd say a household name.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Now, I mean, you mentioned about the kind of Chicago scene was age restricted, but. Is is the area still you know for you? You were saying you were twenty miles out of that. Is it? Was it still an area where gig opportunities, if you wanted to put in the work, were there? Like, could you still play a lot of shows if you wanted?
1: Yeah, um, there was probably I'd say like two venues in like the suburbs area that did like hardcore shows, but besides that, most of the most of the stuff, like I said, is was in the city proper, which. Realistically, it's too far for me. It's like a 20 minute drive, but like when you're 16, 15 without a car, that's, that's a whole different story.
0: <laughs> and, you know, we're saying that um, Karma formed around 2015, 2015 yeah. sorry, not 2015. Um, so, what was the initial reason, apart from obviously your musical tastes that adjusted, but. Was the other band you were in that you were playing bass for kind of had it reached its limit? Did you think you, you couldn't push it anymore? You know, what was the reason for transitioning from that band to Karma starting?
1: So that band broke up. We started when I was in seventh grade and we broke up when I was like a freshman. And then between being a freshman and starting Karma, I would do, I would like start a band. We would write one song and then break up. So it was kind of went from that and then just kept trying to be, start a band and it was, it was always with me and Andrew. So that, that was like the two that was always there. And then the original other two members, Edgar, who plays bass for us now, and then Nivik was our original drummer. They were in another band. They're all, they're all the same age. And they're in another band in the same area. So we eventually just clicked up. And we didn't even like kind of plan to start a band. We just kind of jammed and then wrote a song that day and started from there.
0: Now, from the, from the offset, did you always stylistically set out to be hardcore or is that just by accident that it went down that path?
1: I personally wanted to be a hardcore band always, and when we got together and started writing, it just kind of came out that way, so it definitely worked out the way I wanted it to.
0: (laughs) What about, you know, from the offset with you lyrically, um, it's, for some listeners who may yet to dive into your catalogue, it's quite refreshing because I think some bands now in hardcore don't send a message. You guys seem to send a message. Um, Was that something that you thought was important to always do in your music as well?
1: I don't think it was like a like an act of choice I made. It's just kind of I write about the things that are important to me and the messages I send just happen to be things that need to be listened to in the world because there's a lot a lot been going on and, and been for the past five years and way longer. And it just kind of... Yeah, I wouldn't say it was like a something I chose to do. It's just kind of how it happened because that's the things... I try to write about things that are... Like real emotion, I don't like. I personally can't do like a storytelling thing. I'm personally just like a my thoughts on paper, and that's what it ends up being.
0: Are you ever concerned that you know because you're going down a path with having a message that you might get to a point, you know, on the next release or the release after that, you know, maybe you'll get writer's block because you won't have a message. I mean, is that ever a concern that you're pigeonholing yourself, being a band with a message, and you have to always deliver a message?
1: Uh, I don't think so because. I the way I, I think about it is I'm never going into it with the specific message that I'm planning to write about it's just the things that are happening in the time so I all my lyrics are like things when I'm writing it's things that are currently I'm feeling and currently happening around me so I think at all, any point in your life you're going to have things happening around you and it's kind of depends on how you want to use that as a vessel I guess
0: yeah and I think it's important in you know in any style of music but hardcore especially like I said that there is the message there. And I think also from from my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong, but Chicago is also a boiling point for, you know, the class differences and racial differences and society differences, um, that kind of encapsulate encapsulates what America's going through at the moment.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. There's a l there's been way too many like instances of like unarmed black men being shot down by the police or just Chicago's a very segregated city by itself, which is a whole deeper and more historical problem than the police brutality itself, which also goes back a long time. But the whole class divide and race divide of Chicago is just as prevalent, I'd say.
0: I mean, how far is how far away in, in miles is because when I think of class divide, the two places that usually unfortunately stick in my head are Chicago and Detroit. I mean, is Detroit far from you guys? It's
1: about four, five hours, depending on traffic. So not too not too far.
0: Okay. So it's, it's
1: kind of it's a very similar vibe of, of the cities.
0: So, I mean, what's that like, you know, for you guys at the moment with the tipping point that the country's at? I mean, is it, I mean, I can't even understand really to wrap my head around it, seeing the uh, steady decline and downfall that seems to be going on.
1: It's crazy, man. It's It's kind of a thing. Being a black man in America, you kind of know it's always been there. But these past two years, like past four years, really, but especially this past year, it's kind of people are being less afraid to say how they're feeling about things. And it's (laughs) which is definitely to the well, if you're on one side, it's to the detriment of the world. On the other side, it's good because people are finally waking up and realizing how bad the whole situation is. But it's just crazy because it's kind of hit a point where I don't know if we can go back, if, that's, if you understand what I mean by that. Hmm,
0: hmm. Well, I mean, a, a worrying thing for me, and you know, we do have a, you know, a good amount of Americans lis- listen to our show on the regular, so I'm not, what I'm about to say, I'm not meaning to disrespect any of our listeners, but from an outsider looking in, the thing that confuses me at the moment is, so all of this bullshittery has been going on for too long now it's coming out and people are starting to wake up to it, then what I don't understand is why there are still people that are trying to argue that it doesn't exist or it shouldn't be approached as an issue. That confuses me because if you're given the evidence in front of you which is glaring at you for, for centuries, and now it's there and then you're going to sit there and go, no, 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 no. All lives matter. All this bullshit. It's like, are you high? Like, are you drunk? Like... <laughs> What is going
1: it's, on? I gen that's that's one thing I always sit down and think like I generally can't comprehend how people can have that mindset when there's, there's literal video evidence and just historical evidence for hundreds of years, but somehow they just they live inside their own little bubble. And I think it's either I don't know if it's a thing of like willful ignorance, mm. or if it's just a thing of them being programmed for so long by like history books in the U S are like, <laughs> like, there's so many glaring lies and just mistruths and little things where they'll tweak it to show the country and the people in power in the brighter light. But it's just, I generally can't comprehend how people could see the things that are happening in like now more than ever, there's like videos every day, basically. And it's so hard to get away from, but people somehow don't understand it. And I, I just don't get it.
0: It it sends chills when you see the footage. And it's even more shocking that, um, you know, let's go back 60 years. There wasn't camera footage. So, I mean, there was stuff going on a long time ago, but now it's there. So you can't argue that it doesn't exist. But people, you know, have an issue with it. Um, I think you probably hit a nail on the head that some people like ignorance is bliss but you can't ignore this like you can't be that stupid that you see footage and go yeah well that's doctrined it's like well no no, that that ain't doctrined mate yeah fucking what's it like being in a band though i mean for for a man of your ethnic background do you feel like you have this chance to make even further of an imprint or do you feel like it shouldn't matter If you make an imprint or not, you should just be allowed to do what you do.
1: I think that's a that's a loaded question. Is way to put that? Mm. Yeah, (laughs) Mm. I mean, on in a way, it shouldn't be like you shouldn't feel forced to do it. But in a way, it's kind of hard for it not to be important to you. If it it, if it isn't, you kind of like. That's a really hard question, man. You that that's deep, (laughs) but uh, it's for me personally i think it's important and i'm glad that i have the platform to speak about these things because there's been people who come up to me and tell me how much like they either resonate with the things i've said or it's kind of opened their eyes to a different side that they're not really understanding because there's people like you said across like different countries or either in like in a more suburban area or like a more predominantly white area that they don't see these things. So it's kind of to give them a peek behind the curtain and inside the mind of somebody who sees it from the other side. It's kind of, it's important, I think, for sure.
0: Yeah, and I love and um, respect that you do, man. Because, you know, there's also the side of the coin where people are in your position who, you know, it's like the athletes that don't say anything, who are of an ethnic background. I think, you know, if you have the platform, I, I think respect and a lot of appreciation for people that say something. Because you have oh, yeah. the platform. Um, we got really deep there for a bit. Sorry about that. That was good. That was <laughs> hey, good. Hey, man. That was good. I'm all for it. I liked it. Um, let's come back to around Karma forming days. Um, you know, when you started out gig-wise, was it literally just about putting your, putting in the yards and getting as many shows as possible? Because it seems like it wasn't long into the band forming that you guys released Survival.
1: Yeah, we just immediately hit the road, for better or worse. Probably, sometimes worse, because the first, our, I think our third show, we drove 12 hours in a sedan. So with like, <laughs> we didn't have any merch, so we drove there, got paid maybe like $30. <laughs> we were all in high school, so we were all broke. <laughs> but it was just kind of the, the experience, I guess. It was for a very, very terrible show. <laughs> it was a basement show in Kansas. It was 110 degrees. Mm. The walls were sweating. It was gross. But it was kind of we didn't really know how to be a band yet, cause like I was in a, I was in a band in middle school, but that's that's not a real band. <laughs> like this is our this was the first band I really had the drive to kind of go out and get it, and we just did whatever we could as many times as we were allowed to, and just kind of took every opportunity we had. And sometimes it worked out for the for the worst, but I think it all kind of formed who we are as Karma. So I'm glad we did all those shitty one-off shows for twelve for. hours, 12 hour drives.
0: (laughs) I think it's also important, you know, no matter what genre of music you play, I think it's important that the early days of the band is the hard-working, grinding-at-it aspect. Um, Looking back at it in those first year or so of the band is there anything that you really learned from? Like, as in, were there some big mistakes that you guys made either with shows or merch or anything like that, that you guys were able to take forward and you've learned from? Because a lot of bands starting out do make mistakes.
1: Yeah. I'd say one, not having a band and agreeing to a show 12 hours away. That's, that's one. Cause that was rough. <laughs> we had no AC and it was middle of the summer. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's a lot, man. There's just, it's all kind of trial and error. There's either, if it's merch for a shirt reprint, it was terrible. I I designed it myself on Photoshop, and I have very little Photoshop skills. So when we printed it, it looked like just a splotchy mess. It was terrible. And <laughs> it, it's just I think everything, especially when you're starting out and as as young as we did, like in high school, not really knowing what you're doing, it's kind of it's all trial trial and error. But at a point, once those, tri- those trials they don't come with an error, where it actually starts working out that's it makes it all the better i think
0: did you do the classic um you know i've heard quite a few times and know from my own experience the classic with the first run of merch you make uh, way too many uh shirts and you never really get rid of them so you end up seven years later still with 400 (laughs) shirts
1: we i think we did like a 100 first run and this this is at a time when we maybe had like only our friends listening to us, so we definitely overshot it, but yeah, we definitely did that for sure. (laughs)
0: Have you you still got any of that 100 shirts left?
1: They're actually all gone now somehow, but I don't even know if I have one still, honestly. I don't know. (laughs)
0: They've they've turned into a little bit of a collector's item now.
1: Yeah, I've I've been thinking about this, actually. I want to go back and collect, try to find all the Karma merch, because I think that's something... It'll be cool to look back on.
0: It is, man. Same with the tour posters or the show flyers. Man, keep all that shit, man. Um, So Survival comes out, and obviously having a release behind your belt um, and also having played some shows, did Survival help kind of get your name out a little bit more? Did it make it easier for you guys to get more shows? Um, Or were you still at a grinding stage where nobody had any clue who you were, so you just had to do what you had to do?
1: it definitely helped a lot there was at this the same time we released survival was the first time we did our actual full like tour we did like a week on the east coast and that was like maybe a month after survival and that was the first time i would not had anybody like know the words to my song besides like kids i knew like actual friends so that was is at the kind of the same time it was the point where like oh we could actually could actually do something here and it was dope i think Survival is very important to us a lot a lot of those songs. I'm not the craziest about anymore just because we were young and <laughs> you, you know, you know, how it goes like once you're I was what, so kind of a, a peek beside behind the writing process I write all the stuff for karma and then all the other guys learn it so most of the time those songs will be written for like a year before they finally get like recorded because everybody's learning them and I'm we're fine-tuning them so by the time I probably wrote Survival when I was, like, 17, and it came out when I was, like, 18. And that was, what, six years ago now? Oh, wait. Damn, yeah. Yeah. So I guess five, I guess it was, yeah, f- f- five five years five. ago-ish. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it'll be five years next year. Yeah. That
1: sucks. Time's crazy, man. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, what about, um, you know, with shows? I mean, are you finding... Yeah, I I looked into quite a bit of the shows that you've you've done over there. Is is it kind of the thing is because you're Metallic Hardcore, you only really get offered Metallic Hardcore or Hardcore shows? Do you think you're the kind of band that could be allowed to play some more cross-bill, different-styled shows?
1: Uh i I'd say we've done a like a fair amount of cross build. like we did a little bit of a small weekend row we of mad ball at the end of like that last December, which was nuts to me. so that's I think that was like the closest to like that's like the most straight up hardcore you could get. so I think that's kind of you know, that was like crazy for me. but I think I would love to do something more crossbill with like even like a band like let me think like a one step closer like mm. like a like completely different style. I love stuff like that or even like a band like i don't know i can't think of a good example right now but like something that's not even hardcore at all i would love to do something along those lines like a like a, just a more straight up alternative band
0: i even think you guys could easily fit on a you know a, a core bill like a metal core bill easily oh yeah easily man
1: i, I would do anything man I, I would i just want a tour <laughs> <laughs>
0: well i mean who's not who knows what's going to happen with that i mean that's, yeah that's true that's just fucking <laughs> chaos unto itself um, you can see, you know, you're mentioning it. You, you, with the writing, you can see the maturity that came into "Moment of Violence." The first question with "Moment of Violence," um, do you consider that an album or an EP? Because uh, some people call call it an EP, but it's eight tracks, if memory serves me correct. So yeah, it's eight tracks. I, technically, I'd say I, that's an album, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, I, I call it an album. Everybody, a lot of people call it an EP. I, I, it doesn't really matter too much to me, but I'd say that was an album because most dangerous game that's an EP that's five songs but eight songs that's that's close to an album (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. yeah I had the same reaction like EP is five or under um yeah that's what I think too yeah um so I mean you can see the maturity in the writing so I mean with the writing of moment of violence where were you in the writing process did you spend more time on it um do you feel like you just had over time got more comfortable and more creative because it's quite a yeah, I know you were seventeen when you did survival, but man, it's are polar, polar differences in maturity. Yeah, definitely.
1: I think it's kind of both things. So I definitely took way more time writing "Moment of Violence" because I was like, I kind of found my niche of how I wanted to write things, and I just kind of reread every song like fifteen times minimum. I would just every riff, I would just <laughs> keep going back to the well and redoing it and. It's also just a maturity thing, like you said. It just kind of found more influences from the outside and kind of fine-tuned what I really wanted Karma to sound like. And I think it just kind of all molded together, and that was the start of where I say Moment of Violence is our first record that we really knew who we were.
0: It's also the first re- release that you know it's when I first heard of the name of the band. So it it did again a lot of attention for you guys looking back on it, or do you think it's just by chance? Because for me, it feels like it was the real launching pad for the band going forward.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. It 100% was like the, the thing that helped us get more eyes from everywhere. And I think it's, I'm glad it did because that's kind of what the goal was.
0: What influences were you dragging from for that release? Because, um, if i said that release is just metallic hardcore i, I think it's paying a it disrespect um you know there's some savage beat beat down moments there's just some pure punky feels you know there's the, the metallic feels so where were you creatively dragging from
1: uh, there's this everywhere man I, I love like a lot of like early like 90s new york hardcore is like what that's my stuff so like the heavier side of it though so like the everybody gets hurt irate billy club sandwich uh neglect all that all those those guys and then stuff also it's still new york but like marauder and then bands like archangel and just there is like when i wrote for car when i write for karma i, I want to make make it like so when you hear a karma song you know it's a karma song mm-hmm. so it's not just one straight up you listen to it it's all this is a new york harker band or this is a blah 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 band it's i want influences from everywhere but i want to make it into a sound that makes sense and i think on moment of violence like you said i kind of found the way to do that way better
0: (laughs) did you your gig opportunities seem to open a lot more as well i mean were you finding that um getting a show were being offered more to you now because some of the shows you guys started doing were like nice like sexy
1: yeah, there was definitely, I think that was kind of partly the record and part of we had just been keeping, putting our name out there more, but it was definitely more that we had better music now, so <laughs> that always helps.
0: Now, I mean, was it during this time that Flatspot Flat Spot, um, discovered you guys or did you approach Flat Spot? Because for anyone listening who's not really aware of the label, um, in the independent hardcore circle it's a name man it's a it is a name dude you you look at some of the bands that have been on there or are on there that's establishing yourself getting on that label so how did your link up with that label come about
1: so that didn't happen until we actually had already recorded most dangerous game so we recorded recorded most dangerous game in january uh, yeah january like the first week of january of this year and then we kind of just got the finals back got the artwork and we were like all right we want we want to do this through the label but i want we want to have a finished product so we hand it to them and they're gonna say okay there's no way we can't take this Mm -hmm. because we had they didn't need to pay for the artwork they didn't need to pay for mix mastering we had it all so we just kind of had everything and then vitalo who uh, sang for backtrack he i had met him a few months before because we played uh knock Loose's uh record release and he was there and I met him, he talked to him for a little bit, and he told me to hit him up if we ever needed help in anything. And I didn't really have any contacts with labels, so I hit him, I was like, yo, could you get me in contact with a few labels? He, he got us in contact with the with just every label you could think of, and Ricky was the first to respond, and probably that same week, Ricky and me talked on the phone for like an hour, and that was kind of a, like, as soon as that happened, I kind of, I just felt that it was the right fit for us because the way that we were, he was talking about karma and the, the way the vision he had for us, it was just exactly on point with what I wanted our future to be. So it just, it linked up
0: perfectly. So, I mean, you mentioned January. Um, so quite a big gap of time in there, obviously, <laughs> yeah. obviously, you know, realistically 2020, nobody can, tour behind the release which is essential for any band unless you're metallica or slayer it's something you need (laughs) to do you need a tour behind the back of release but was that the reasoning behind such a long time for the release or was that just how the cards fell
1: it was kind of just how the cards fell because originally we were thinking late or like early late to september but we we got everything and sent it to the the um vinyl press A plant and they said that wasn't gonna happen so we're like all right we're not doing that and they told us we could do november and like all right i guess we're pushing for november
0: (laughs) now with with getting a release out on flat spot was there also any i mean do you feel any pressure or expectation that you know this this needs to be a good release this had to be a good release
1: i think I had that pressure on myself before we even like linked up with Flatspot because I was I'm so proud of these songs and I was like we got to do everything we can to make sure people hear this and I want to make sure the release if it goes perfectly and I think it think it did well so I'm glad that we linked up with Flatspot because they've been like an immense help they it's been I love working with Flatspot already and it's only been a few months so I'm very excited to see where else it goes.
0: So has it popped off? Like has has the release, you know, have the ears and the eyes really kind of gravitated further to it? Because there's been some reaction, but you know, I I'm not on the internet that much, so I haven't seen what the US has reacted to it. So what's the kind of from your perspective reaction been?
1: It's been really good, I'd say. Uh, kind of just like a from a like a number standpoint, we've doubled like like it it doubled from where we were last year. So it, that's always a good thing. So, yeah. I. I think I think it's been really good, and I think once we get the, the chance to tour on it, which is I don't know when that'll be, but regardless, when that happens, I think it'll just it'll be even better because I think a lot of times in the pandemic, there's there's hardcore bands releasing stuff, but it's kind of hard to get excited about a hardcore band when you you can hear it and then just like damn, I'm not gonna be able to see this live. So so at times you can like there's been a lot a lot of great hardcore releases, but it's kind of hard to kind of hard to get pumped about it because when you hear it and you're just like, oh, I just want to see this glide, I just want to march, I want to do all this, but <laughs> you just like stuck in your house. But I don't know. I think regardless, the release so far has been getting a lot of steam and Flat has been pushing it like crazy, which I really appreciate, and I think it's just going to keep snowballing.
0: Yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, Moment of Violence was a big step, and I think Most Dangerous Game is just a natural further step in the right direction. Um, it shows that... Um, moment of violence wasn't like a one-off. It shows the band yeah. is. It shows the band is continually growing, which, you know, for a listener or a fan, is just exciting because that means the next release. Whew, I mean, we're we're, yeah, not to put pressure on you, but we're in for uh, something exciting. <laughs> you were expecting. I've been
1: waiting for it already, and yes, you are. <laughs>
0: well, that's what I'll, that that leads me into a question I was going to ask. Yeah, you you know, one of the disappointments of the downtime is no touring. Obviously. Um, a lot of free time. So, you know, you, you'd you written this Most Dangerous Game in January. Um, you've had, all you know, what, 11 other months. Um, yeah. What? Are, where are you at with the creative aspect going forward?
1: I, I have, like, a bunch of songs written, and I'm just going to keep writing songs until I can't write songs no more, and we're just going to pick through them and see what works, works best. But I, I think so far the stuff I've written I'm really excited about. So the quarantine has been... It's been rough, but the aspect of being able to just kind of lock in and have nothing else to do besides write music, it, it definitely helps a little bit.
0: Do you, It must also be a bit challenging, though, for someone who's in a band that has the free time, so you're writing music, but you've just released music. So, I mean, what time-wise for you would be a realistic thing to aim to record? I mean, would you literally wait another six months to a year to record? Or is it kind of thing of like, if touring's not happening for quite a while, maybe we just record while we've got the thing done?
1: Yeah, that, that's what. I, that's one thing I've been struggling with because I was like, it's kind of like an impossible question right mm. now because nobody knows what the future's looking like. So it's kind of... And w- at one extent, you want to tour off. I want to tour off Most Dangerous Game. But then again, who knows when that's going to be possible? And <laughs> if that's not going to be f- until like a year and a half from now or a year from now, is it just better to start working on another release? Like it's it's hard to tell, man.
0: <laughs> it's also really hard to tell because. Um... I was speaking to, I can't remember who the guest was, but they were saying that, you know, the natural thing now is you think, okay, I've got the time, I can release the content because you think more people are at home, more people have got time to listen to the content. But in actual fact, some listening numbers aren't really shifting much because people usually listen at the gym or on the way to work or on the train or, you know, whatever it is. Um, Are you noticing that numbers are good, but You know, they'd probably be even better if people were doing their day to day life as normal.
1: Yeah, that's something I also thought about because a lot of the time, most of the time, I'm listening to hardcore. It's when I'm driving, and I only drive for like the ten minutes it takes me to get to work now. So it's (laughs) it's a whole different ballgame.
0: It's it's a crazy crazy thing. The the other thing um, I was thinking about the other day is we've got all these um, live streaming performance things going on left front and center a lot of them aren't hardcore you know one thing about the hardcore game is we know as you said you know it's all about the energy of seeing a band play with the crowd interacting you know all of that jazz um what's your take as someone in a band with these this whole live performance thing that's happening
1: i i've we talked about doing one and i i just I would like to, if we could figure out a way to make it interesting, and it's it's so hard to think as a hardcore band what can you really do to make (laughs) a live stream interesting. It's it's such a weird thing because it's never something I would have had to thought of a year ago. So it's it's just so weird to find to try to find a way to keep people engaged while just watching you sit in your practice spot playing an instrument. (laughs) Like it's 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 rough, man. I don't know. It's I've seen a few cool ones, uh, but. I don't know, it's it's a kind of it's just a weird thing. I personally haven't really sat down and watched a full one just because it's not the way I prefer to watch hardcore.
0: Mm. I yeah, see, look, I I'm all all for people in bands thinking of new ideas to keep the revenue going, which is what it does. Um it also gives the fans some content. But on the same as you, it feels a bit weird that I'm watching it and I can pause this And then go away. And then come back. Because if I'm at an actual show, if I need to go to the toilet, I'm really trying to time this. I don't want to miss my favourite song. So maybe I just stand here with the feeling I'm going to piss myself. Because I don't want to miss (laughs) my favourite song. Because I know there's three songs left in the set. But now with this streaming thing, you can pause it, you can leave. The other thing is... The energy doesn't feel the same for me. I've watched a few, and yeah, the band's not going through the numbers. The the band's putting on a performance, but you just kind of go, mm, I don't know. It doesn't feel doesn't feel right.
1: How much is it? It like forced energy type of thing. That's that's kind of the thing I've been struggling with. Thinking when we've been thinking about doing one, it's just kind of like. How can we really convey that energy without it seeming like we're just forcing ourselves to be do the energy because they we know people are watching through the through a screen? It's it's a it's just a weird thing, man. It's so so strange.
0: It's also strange because if you think about it, the first I think one or two bands did it. I think like Code Orange was the first one to do it. I think someone, I think it was Code Orange, someone like that, were the first ones to do it. And then you're like, wow, this is actually a refreshing, different idea. Now and I'm not bad talking on everyone, but it's now every Tom, Dick and Harry's band is doing one every week. And you're like, well, it's not yeah. really, it's not really fresh and innovative now. Now it's just like, it's like when new metal started and everyone wanted to be a rap <laughs> metal band. You know, it doesn't really feel like the same thing.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. it's kind of a thing also where you kind of have, you have to have the high production value for it to kind of like to pull it off the same way as like, you, like a Court Orange did.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, then then the other thing is, you know, when you go to a live show, you don't get to see every member of the band with cam- different camera angles. I mean, personally, I'm not amazingly tall, so I've usually got the really tall guy in front of me, so I can only watch <laughs> that one thing. Like, I can only watch the guitarist on the left side of the stage for the whole show. I don't get to see everyone else, but yeah. it's it's... It's fucking weird, man. It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> it really is. I agree 100%. What about over there? I've heard that recently they've said that they're going to bring back possible live shows, but you've got to sit in a box of four people. I saw footage about that.
1: I saw something about that. I don't know if that was like... I think it was like a country. I, I saw a video of one thing. It was like a weird like you had like plexiglass around you, you're sitting in it, I I can't watch, I'm not going to a show like that. <laughs> That's not, I can't do it.
0: <laughs> Imagine if you had a, you know, like a terror or a mad show and you said to everyone, so in groups of four, you have to sit in this little <laughs> cage and you can't leave the cage. You know, you're not allowed out. That wouldn't happen. Yes.
1: Yeah, you can't do it. <laughs> you can't do it.
0: Um, I want to talk a little bit about the industry. You know, someone who's young and in a band that, I'd say the you haven't broken the glass ceiling, so potential is endless, and you can see that you're going in the right places with the right moves. Um, do you see the industry as a good or bad place? Because I'm a bit older, and I remember when for a band it was easier to make revenue, but now it's a bit more harder, and you've got to be a bit more smarter. So f- for you, how does the industry feel?
1: It's, it's at a point where I don't, it's kind of hard to tell because... A lot of the ways that you would make revenue before, like streaming has killed so much of that and streaming is not (laughs) the most uh, fruitful way to gain revenue at all. It's (laughs) quite the opposite, but it's I don't know. It's kind of a rough at some points. I say it's a a good place. It's, It's in a good place now because there's so much ways for you to gain exposure, but that exposure isn't paying out the way it would have say, like 10, 15 years ago. Well,
0: have you guys noticed that, um, yeah, especially with like a new release, that vinyl does fly off the shelves, that a new merch run can s- fly off the shelves? Because that's, you know, listeners know I say every week with every guest that it's important that you support them not just through streaming but with physical copies if you can, merch if you can. Um, are you noticing that despite the pandemic going on that your, your fans are still turning up and helping you out with those kind of things?
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. We put the uh, the vinyl out for Most Dangerous Game, and we did two variants. And the we did like a white splatter, or a clear. They're both clear, but one of them had a red splatter, and one had blue and white. And the blue and white sold out in a weekend, which was dope. Damn. Yeah, it was cool. That's, so that's definitely, I think people are realizing that that's like the best way to help a band right now. And I, it's crazy to see because that was the first time we had done vinyl, so I didn't know what to expect, and I was definitely blown away when that happened.
0: Dude, it's the hardcore game, man. Like. Kids nowadays, absolutely, to quote in an Australian way, froth the fuck out of vinyl, man. Like, kids, froth <laughs> vinyl. Froth, basically, um, uh, can't get enough, fever. They've okay. got a fever for it. Um, okay. And it's the hardcore game, man. I think, you know, you guys are lucky that you're in a game where you can put out a vinyl like that. And it also is a positive sign that you have such a strong fan base that they'll sell it out. That's great, man. That's fucking sick.
1: Yeah, it was awesome. I've, was very, I was very—I wouldn't say surprised, but I was just pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I guess that would be the best way to put it. Because we—I didn't really know what to expect because we had never done vinyl before. Because it's so expensive to do when you're doing it yourself.
0: Well, I mean, the other positive to take is it shows the music doesn't suck. So yeah, that that
1: that, that works too. Yeah, yeah, yeah kind of. <laughs> especially because that was it was pre-ordered, so nobody had heard it yet. So mm. that's kind of that's a good sign.
0: Mm. You haven't had you haven't had any returns yet. So let's let's take that as a positive. So. I
1: mean, if there was, it wasn't coming to us. It's going to, <laughs> it's going to flex, but so I hope
0: not. <laughs> um, what about, you know, in the hardcore game, we, we mentioned earlier about, you know, you write with a message, uh, whether you mean to or not, there's a message in your music because of your background. Do you feel like hardcore music um, still has a lot of bands that do that? Or do you think we just ebb and flow? Because I was thinking back that, Being an old bastard, you know, I remember a lot of bands had a message um, and a lot of bands had something to say. It didn't mean they were all saying the same thing, but they all had a message. And it feels like nowadays there are still bands, but I don't think there is as many. So I wondered what your take as someone who is prominent in the game. Do you think there's bands doing a message?
1: There definitely is. I would say there's definitely, there is also a, a majority of bands that are just don't really have like the strongest message behind them which which is fine there's not everybody needs to do that but there's definitely bands that are still pushing their message i'd say like a band like like a band like jesus peace aaron definitely speaks on a lot of the things i speak on um magnitude they definitely have a strong message behind them i'm trying to think off the top of my head who else i don't know those, those are the first two that really pop in my head when i think of bands now who are really speaking out for things they believe in
0: i think it, like you said also that. You- an important thing you said is that not all band needs to. Um, yeah. I just, yeah, you know, like we were saying earlier with the way the world is, I'm a bit worried that there aren't more bands saying something um, that for me, I get worried about. I, I think you see what's going on. I think 90% of the bands should be coming out with a new song that is saying something about it.
1: I think I have like two minds on that. So I think that it should be, but then again, I think it should be a, a spot where there's not – it should be allowed for people like the minorities to be able to speak about it first. So it's not like mm-hmm. just a random white dude for like Arizona singing about it when they could – like I think it's more important for them to like – to. Amplify the voices that are, need to be heard that are actually in like the marginalized communities instead of trying to like yell over them. I guess could be a good way to put it.
0: Yeah, but see, but see that that is so well put. But then an interesting thing or worrying thing um, is a person of your background and ethnicity is considered a minority in the world, which you're not. Your you know your population is as big as everyone else. But in our style of music, um, it is surprising that there is no, not as many people that aren't a white guy from Kansas City. Um, <laughs> and, you know, is that something you think is slowly changing and will start to change? Or do you think that's just ca- kind of how it unfortunately is? Because it is a different kind of music.
1: Yeah, I think historically there has been like, it's there's a lot of times where it has been like a predominantly white scene, but there's also uh, there's always been bands of like if, whether it be like a black guy or somebody from like the Latin community that is the singing in the band, or I think there's always been the influx of minorities or by POC, whatever you wanna what term we wanna use have, have always been in the hardcore scene like a Bad Brains, like mm-hmm. uh, Regulate is another band I forgot to mention them earlier, but that's another band that really speaks out on. The issues that that are also like very important to me and like seb he's he's a uh, another black guy in hardcore um there, i think it's kind of i don't know it's kind of hard to say because there's definitely ban- like there's a kind of a stick not a stigma but in the black community there's a there's definitely a stigma around being involved in like metal or h- hardcore it's it's kind of just a I don't know if it's it's just a thing where exposure is the problem, where Mm. you're not exposed as much, or if it's just I don't know. It's it's a weird weird thing to think about.
0: Yeah, I I just you know because I had um Doc from God forbid Doc Coyle on a couple weeks ago, and I kind of had the question for him that I remember getting a metal hammer or one of these magazines. And it was quite strange because, God forbid, were advertised in the magazine as the black metalcore band. Um, that was the headline. and <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah. And I always remember it a bit weird because uh, they had a white guy as a bass player. So it was like, uh, what about him? Like, they're, they're not a black band. They're just a band, man. Like, don't yeah. label them. Um, and my thing I think that's a bit worrying is that, unfortunately, some bands are still not given the chance just to play their music, the bands like yourself, they go, oh, look, they got a, a guy here, a singer who's not white. It's like, well just don't, don't signal him out. Just fucking listen to the music, man. It doesn't matter what he is. Um, and I think that is because there's not a lot of people of different races in the music. There is, but there's just not enough.
1: I definitely agree. There's definitely not enough. But it's definitely a weird thing where, you could, you could, there's been many shows where I could go in and be the only black guy in the room, and it's just, it's just a weird, weird, weird uh, weird scenario, I'd say.
0: Yeah, it's even weirder in Australia because we don't have um, any of our Aboriginal, Indigenous people in heavy bands. I can't think of any off the top of my head, um, which is horrifying, to be honest. Um, that our, you know, people aren't represented. Um, maybe one day, hopefully one day. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, one last question before we have a light note end on is, um, you know, if, if let's say tomorrow, unfortunately, karma had to end and all music had to end and someone came up to you and said, what's the one thing that karma left? What's the one thing you want everyone to remember karma for? What's the legacy of karma? Uh, what is it?
1: I think that that's a really good question. I, that's not something I've ever really thought about. But the thing I would want to the thing I would just say is that it's all of my thoughts from like the past six years of my life, refined and put into just me expressing it, and that's it's really important to me. And I think it's cool that have people relate to it and just connect with it at all. And I think that's kind of the whole the thing about hardcore that means the most to me is that it's people at its core, at the, at the core of hardcore is people fighting back against the, the outside society or just fighting back against internal struggles or whatever it be. It's kind of just an expression of everything inside you. So I think it's, that's one thing I would say is the most important thing to me about karma That's that it's just me, my way of expressing myself, I guess.
0: And, Banging fucking tunes Banging tunes Hell yeah Hell yeah Tunes to start a pit Is basically what we'll say Um, (laughs) For everyone listening At the end of this conversation You'll hear a couple of karma songs Which we do with every guest You hear a couple of songs Uh, When when you hear them At the end of this conversation With Jordan Move all loose furniture Out of your way um, (laughs) And uh, yeah Get your fucking Get your anger out It's sick Um, Now Dude we're going to end things on a light note, a bit of a fun okay. note. Um, everyone gets this segment. doesn't matter um, where you're from, how old you are, whatever. Uh, it's called Pick Your Poison. Now, All right, let's do it. What I do here is I'm kind of going to pick your brain. I'm going to give you two options, and you have to pick your favorite of the two. Now, okay. some are easy, some are hard. You're also allowed to give a reason for your answer. Because you might find that you think that answer that you gave is a bit questionable why you chose A over B. But <laughs> you don't also have to. You can just roll with it and be like, that's my answer. Fucking deal with it. Okay? <laughs>
1: All right. Sounds good, man. Let's do it.
0: Okay. Would you rather a pizza or a burger?
1: Ah, damn. Those are like two of my favorite foods. I, I'm going to mm. go pizza. That's just my my gut instinct.
0: Okay. Uh, ribs or brisket?
1: Ooh, man, you're making me hungry now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go brisket. I love a good brisket
0: sandwich. Okay. Smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Crunchy, 100%. Ooh. Um, Chicken or beef? Chicken. Uh, Coffee or tea?
1: I'm going to go... Damn. I love like a good iced tea, but that's kind of different than just like uh i'm gonna go coffee
0: okay soft taco or crunchy taco soft taco always okay a beer or a whiskey uh i'm gonna go whiskey okay um if i was gonna give you an option of a meal and you could either cook it at home or you could have it at a restaurant which would you prefer
1: I'd say a restaurant, they make it better than me. <laughs> yeah,
0: you also don't have to do the dishes afterwards, that's always a win.
1: That, that, always a plus there.
0: <laughs> um, new movie comes out, do you want to wait to see it at the cinema, or would you rather watch it on the couch at home?
1: I'd say at home, it, it takes a lot for me to go see a movie mm. in the cinema, I think.
0: Yeah, it's, the, it's the only time I, I like it at home because I can pause it and go to the toilet and not miss that five minutes and wonder what the what? hell's going on in the story.
1: And a lot of the movie theaters, by me, they all have like these comfy-ass seats, and I always fall asleep. So <laughs> yeah. if I go to their home, I, I fall asleep. I can watch the rest later. <laughs> yes,
0: exactly. Um, spend the day at the beach or spend the day at the snow? Beach. I hate the cold. Uh, cat or dog?
1: Uh, I'm going to go dog. I'm allergic to both, but I don't. that doesn't stop me ever. Okay. To, to my detriment sometimes. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> Determination to get a pat in. I love it Exactly um, Okay and Some movie ones Terminator Or Predator Terminator Oh that was an easy one For you Um Terminator <laughs> Rambo Or Rocky
1: Rocky Gotta go Rocky uh,
0: Batman Or Superman
1: Batman okay. They're all They're all from the Chicago At least the newer ones. True
0: um, James Bond Or Jason Bourne
1: Ooh, Damn. I'm gonna go Jason Boyd, just because I remember watching the Born Supremacy with my dad like a long time ago. <laughs> I have a vivid memory of
0: that would not I d I wouldn't I wouldn't want to hang out with him though. He seems like he's always got a you know, some paranoia about something going on.
1: He's <laughs> yeah, stepped on the wrong thing and he's about oh. to break your neck real quick. Oh yeah, he's
0: <laughs> flipping out all the time. It's like just chill, man, just chill. Um <laughs> Freddy or Jason? Oh. Huh. Jason Mm. yeah he's badass Um, yeah he is for for sure Star Wars or Star Trek
1: I've literally never seen anything of Star Trek besides the newest movie so I'm gonna go Star Wars
0: (laughs) yeah Um, South Park or Simpsons damn I'm
1: gonna go South Park that's that's the one I've watched more
0: (laughs) what about Step Brothers or Anchorman
1: ooh that damn ooh that, that's a hard one I love both those movies um Step Brothers doesn't have a sequel so I'm gonna go Anchorman
0: hey nice answer. <laughs>
1: that's the loophole
0: <laughs> yeah worked your way around that one perfectly um okay Terror or Madball
1: Terror is what started it all for me so I gotta go Terror as yeah. much as I love Madball
0: um Sick of it All or Agnostic Front uh
1: I'll
0: go AF. Okay. Um, Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica. Slayer or Pantera?
1: I'll go Slayer because they're not as openly
0: (laughs) problematic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They don't wave weird-looking flags yeah that I'll, I'll go slayer for that for sure yeah yeah not to say that anything wrong with the music but yeah yeah definitely yeah
1: we've covered pantera before so yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: um slipknot or machine head slipknot oh every day of the week um marilyn manson or rob zombie rob zombie okay limp biscuit or corn
1: I'm going to let Biscuit just because I'm a wrestling fan and he had the under- <laughs> had the Undertaker's theme song. That was sick.
0: <laughs> well, that leads me into some wrestling ones. Let's go. Undertaker or Kane?
1: Undertaker. Well, yeah. all right. I'm going to say Undertaker, not mm-hmm. the man Mark Calloway because he's mm-hmm. Blue Lives Matter, but Undertaker just because this man is crazy.
0: <laughs> um. Oh, okay. Would you prefer Kane masked or unmasked?
1: Mask, for sure. Yeah. I, I hate that man's face. <laughs> yeah.
0: No disrespect to him, but mm, put the mask on. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Triple H or HBK? i got to wait. go HBK. Yeah. Yeah. Sexy boy, indeed he is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Not,
1: not now so much. He's got kind no. of his hairline's looking kind of crazy. But... <laughs> no.
0: but he's got that sweet chin music, like, forever. Yeah, for sure. Um, Randy Savage or Mr. Perfect? That's old school.
1: Oh, damn. Funny story. This is before I answer the question. My mom actually went to the same high school as Randy Savage and his brother. Whoa. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, damn. Uh, I'm going to go with Mr. Perfect just because I got to meet him before, like a month oh. before he died.
0: Oh, I would, I would pick Mr. Perfect also because I think he's one of the most underrated heels of all time. 100 percent dude was just on tap man loved him um last wrestling one and then we've got a couple left okay benoit or guerrero eddie guerrero that is Ooh.
1: i gotta go with eddie he's like he's on my mouth more.
0: Mm. let La- that 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 latino heat like mm. yes
1: 100 percent. he's one of my favorites ever
0: yeah Um, you go to a show, oh no, you're playing a show, do you want stage dives happening or mic grabs happening?
1: I think, uh, mic
0: grabs. Mm -hmm. Uh, you're going to go to a show to watch it, are you going to watch it from the pit or by the sound desk?
1: Uh... After quarantine, probably by the sound desk, because I don't know if I got motion left in me. I'm only 23, but I don't, I'm feeling <laughs> old, man. <laughs> Especially after a year off, I don't know how much motion I'm going to be doing anymore. <laughs>
0: um, Now, one, you need to go with the other. But let's imagine only one could happen. It could happen on its own. You're either going to tour for the rest of your life or record for the rest of your life. Damn.
1: Uh, that's hard so you so you're saying if i tour for the rest of my life it'd be just off of what we have recorded right now
0: no as in like um all you ever do for every year is tour there's no stopping there's no getting in the studio or you're in the studio all the time that's it you don't go out on the road you're just in the studio every free moment
1: that's so hard (laughs) damn Mm, mm. (laughs) I think I would go crazy just writing songs and never being able to play them live, so I had to go tour.
0: Okay. And the last one is a triple one. I'm going to give you your all-time favorite album. The way I give it to you is the way you have to listen to it for the rest of your life. Would you like it on CD, vinyl, or on your phone? Huh. (laughs) This is hard.
1: (laughs) I'm going to go... I want to say CD, but realistically, I feel like phone is, uh, I think I'm going to go phone just because I can put some headphones in and you're not know, going to have a CD player everywhere. So,
0: you no, know, and if you look at the modern the modern makes of cars, they don't even have CD players in them. So, just, yeah, that's true. Same with laptops, man. Like, it's like, what the fuck am I going to do with a CD? Um, Not to say it's not worth buying. I just felt
1: my laptop and I I don't even have a disk drive. I didn't realize that until you just said that Mm -hmm. right now. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: I have one, but i got to connect it with a USB and then uh, whatever. Can't be bothered. Um, (laughs) Jordan, first thing, a lot of love, a lot of respect and a lot of appreciation for you not only having the time, but taking the time for being relaxed, enjoyable, great guest, fucking great guest. Um, Hell yeah. Loved every minute. So I just want to say first thing before I forget, thank you for you.
1: Oh, yeah, man. appreciate you. Thank you for having me on. It was dope. I I love talking. I I could talk forever.
0: (laughs) Dude, um, but stay safe. Uh, Stay sane, if that's possible. Um,
1: (laughs) That's the harder part. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly, man. Uh, But, yeah, much love, brother, from Australia, and uh, fucking kick-ass time, man. Look forward to doing it again.
1: Oh yeah, I'm definitely done to do it again. Once again, appreciate you. Thank you for having me
0: on. Uh thank you, brother. Take care. Have a good rest of your day. Stay safe, man. Right, bye, brother. Ever notice how you come across somebody once in a while and you shouldn't have
2: fucked with? Contribution, sweet revenge Fuck yourself, the means are yours
0: So that was my chat with Jordan of Karma. At the end there, you heard the band's track, Good Riddance. The second track was called Hands of the Oppressor. And the third track was called Paper Gangster. All of those come off the band's album, Moment of Violence. Now's the part of the show where I sparked that thing inside you to support the band that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed the music or you enjoyed the conversation, Make sure you get online and stream the fuck out of this music. If you're into physicals, get on there, get some CDs, get some vinyl. Lastly, if you're into merch, get into some merch. Peep the fuck out of it. There is a lot online. Make sure you get yourself a hoodie, a shirt or some shorts. I need to take this moment to thank Jordan again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 147. Done, dusted, all wrapped up. Locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pit.